Heavenly Father, thank you this morning that we have your words, that we can look at it and we can read it and we can understand it. God, I pray it takes deep root in our hearts this morning. In the holy name of Jesus, your Son, amen. Now let's begin chapter 4. One of the interesting things about John's letter here is uh, he repeats himself. Some scholars say he lived to be about 90 years old. And uh, if you've ever been around some, not everybody, but a lot of old people, they tell the same stories over and over. And uh, so John, I don't know if that's why he repeats himself a lot here, but he repeats himself because he's, got, he's fond of repetition in this letter here. And uh, it's a very interesting thing that I read in the Schofield Study Bible is that uh, most Bible scholars agree that this is probably one of the most intimate writings of all the inspired writings. John has sent this letter or this treatise or whatever you want to call it, this essay to a congregation, and it's supposed to be read everywhere anyways, and he, he sent it to some people that he deeply, deeply loves and cares about. And we notice in chapter 4, verse 1 here, he has this term or this uh, word here, beloved. And uh, the uh, commentary I was reading uh, it says that uh, when he uses this word, beloved, and we'll see three times in the passages we're going to be reading, he uses this word, beloved, he, it's an affectionate address, according to Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown's commentary. And when he uses this word, this affectionate address, beloved, you guys are loved by God and me, he's saying. He says, oh, by the way, uh, beloved, I got something important to say, so listen up. This is what he's talking about, what he means. This is an, ins- an important subject that we're going to be Uh, looking at right now. And uh, he says, here's what he says. This is important. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Now, he's not talking about ghosts. How many know he's not talking about ghosts? He's talking about false teachers, false prophets. That's the spirit behind these people there's a spirit behind these false prophets, and this is what he's addressing. He's saying, be careful. Praise God. Another thing about this word beloved here is that it's related to, it's actually the Greek word agapeo on this passage here. And it means to uh, love in a social or moral sense, and it's compared to or similar to phileo, according to Strong's uh, exhaustive concordance in Bible dictionary means to be a friend to or to be fond of an individual. In other words, it, that is, it means to have affection for and it denotes personal attachment. How many, you understand, John, when he ta- calls everyone beloved, he has a personal attachment to these people. He knows these people and he loves them deeply. As a personal attachment, a matter of sentiment or, or feeling. And this word agapeo embraces especially the judgment or the discernment and the deliberate assent of the will. He's made up his mind. I love these people with all warts and all. It's the, the deliberate 
assent of the will as a matter of principle, duty, and propriety. The two, agapio and phileo, both words in English translated as love, they are related very much to each other. And so this is the word, every time we see this word, beloved, keep in mind, he's saying, you guys, I really love you. Please pay attention to what I'm about to say. So he goes on and he says, the first of all, do not believe every spirit. Do not believe every spirit. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 20, Jesus says these words, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. <clears throat> There's a funny um, far side comic strip. There's a bunch of, sheep, of wolves with sheep's clothing, and all of them are wolves in sheep's clothing. And one of them stands up and says, Guys, I think uh, something's wrong here. We're, not, we're all the wolves. <laughs> Thank God that uh, we can have discernment and you can, you can ask God, if you're not sure how to test the spirits, it says in the next two verses how to do that. But watch out for these wolves. There are wolves out there. Somebody even made a famous movie, The Wolf of Wall Street. This is Amity Moe that uh, Adolf Hitler liked to refer to himself as Uncle Wolf. He was a bad, bad man. <laughs> The strangest thing is he thought he was being led by God. But what he meant for evil, God meant for good. Can you say amen? Jesus tells us, watch out for those false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Duh, no. Ha, so. Every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree. Now listen to Jesus' words. He's talking about false teachers here. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And then it concludes with these words, so then you will know them by their fruits or the results of their teachings. Do they, do they, they get people in, in a, a bondage? Do they get them in a conundrum? Do they get them confused? Do they get them on the right path to God? Do they get them closer to Jesus? You'll know them by their fruits. False teachers who oppose the truth. How many know that Jesus said, straight is the way and narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life? Wide is the way that leads to destruction. Jesus is warning us to be careful of false teachers. And following right after what he just said in verses 21 through 23 of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom. And those are the scariest words to me in the whole Bible. Jesus will tell these false teachers, Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness, I never knew you. Salvation is to know Jesus personally as your personal Savior. I don't ever want to hear Jesus say, I never knew you. I want to know Jesus better and better. Verse 1, 
For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many false prophets. We see that today. There's all kinds of strange doctrines. Um, I was looking up uh, uh, a word in the dictionary because I didn't know what it meant. And there was in the 1700s an uncle and his nephew who were supposedly Italian theologians and they denied the Trinity. And that's pretty popular today. Did you know that? There are certain uh, what we would call cults that present themselves to society as genuine Christianity that deny the Trinity. So that's one way to know. The spirits, according to Strong's Dictionary, is the mental disposition of these people. It's not, according to Jameis Fawson and Brown's, false prophets. This is not fortune tellers, people that predict the future. That's not what this is. And they have gone out into the world. And John also mentioned those that have gone out from the congregation because they were not from God. They went out from us. Praise God. And this is also, this is the reason why we're to test the spirits because these spirits have gone out into the world trying to influence. Hallelujah. Now, here is how we know that a person believes the truth and knows Jesus. Great indeed. This is from uh, Paul's first letter to Timothy, and here's one of those great 316s. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Now, this word mystery doesn't mean that it's a spooky thing that no one, you know, it's really creepy. It means simply a revealed truth. That's all it really means is a revealed truth. And here's the truth. He, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit with a capital S, so that means the Holy Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. Let's look first at this. He was manifested in the flesh. John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. To me, this is one of the most awesome aspects of Christianity, of of the, the truth of the gospel, is that God himself came to earth. The Bible says in him, all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily in human form. We looked earlier a couple of weeks ago that John was combating a a heresy called docetism where they believed that Jesus did not come in bodily form and because uh, he came to the earth, uh, he was only here in spirit. And he really, he couldn't have done that because if Jesus didn't come in bodily form, he couldn't have died on the cross. He had to have a human body in order to die on the cross. So, he was vindicated by the Spirit At his baptism, John says he saw the Holy Spirit descending as a dove. And then he heard the Father's voice. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. There at that moment in time, the Trinity manifested itself at Jesus' baptism. There was the Father's voice. There was the Son right there in front of everybody. 
getting baptized, and there was the Holy Spirit. Second or third of all, he was seen by angels. Seen by angels. Hebrews chapter 1. If you read the whole thing there, it talks about Jesus being made uh, you know, before the angels. And it, they quote verse 97, or cha- Psalm 97, verse 7. It says, let all the angels of God worship Him. That is, the Son. Next, He was proclaimed among the nations. Who was preached among the nations? None other than Jesus. Chapter uh, 10 of Romans, uh, the letter to the Romans, chapter 10, verse 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And uh, they quote uh, Psalms 19, verse 4, in the next chapter, Uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 18, it says their sound, they have all heard, their sound has gone out into all the world. Who was uh, preached among the nations? That's Jesus. And he was believed on in the world. Colossians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Paul reminds the Colossians, the word of the truth of the gospel which is the good news which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard it and know the grace of God in truth. Aren't you glad for the grace of God? Without the grace of God, we would be lost because the grace of God gives us what we don't deserve. The grace of God is that Jesus took the punishment that we deserve. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Thank God for that. And then, lastly, he was taken up in glory. In Acts chapter, or Luke chapter 24, verse 51, and Mark chapter 16, verse 19, it says that Jesus led his disciples out of the, at Bethany, and he was taken up into the air, into the clouds, and they saw him go. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6, Paul writes and he says that Jesus appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time after the resurrection. And these were eyewitness accounts. So this is all about Jesus. This is how you know about false prophets. They deny all of this. That Jesus is God. That He came to earth in a human form. That he was uh, existed before creation and time. And this is how you know that it's a false teaching when they deny all of this. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit or every person or every soul that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That's how we know. This is the test. Do you believe that Jesus was God before time began, do you believe that Jesus came to earth as a human being? That's how you know. If you don't believe that, then you, or whoever doesn't believe that, has the spirit of the Antichrist, which we heard was coming and now is in the world already and still in the world and seems to be getting stronger and stronger. Unfortunately, for this particular spirit of Antichrist, his days are numbered. (laughs) But Jesus' days are not numbered. Can you say amen? Amen. Glory to God. 
By this you know, every spirit that confesses or every teacher claiming to be inspired by the Holy Spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. How many know there's lots of teachers out there in the world? There's teachers galore on TV. There's teachers everywhere. But we want to make sure that we are listening to the teachers who confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. I'll never forget, in my early walk with God, I was uh, at a Bible conference and uh, just worshiping God. And all of a sudden I felt, ashamed and embarrassed. I thought, this is weird. It's like somebody standing next to me said, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before the Father in heaven. And I went, whoa, and turned around and <laughs> kneeled down at my chair and started praying, God, I'm sorry, Jesus, I know that you're Lord. Praise God. This is twofold. Then, <clears throat> excuse me, talking about or confessing that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. First, that He is, notice, Jesus Christ. This is the Greek word Christos. It just simply means the Anointed One. That Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah that the Jewish people have been waiting for for years and years and centuries. First of all, that He's the Messiah, the Anointed One. And secondly, that He came in the flesh. Or has, is come it's not a mere historic fact, but the present continuation of the fact and its blessed effects. So, it's not simply enough to just confess Jesus Christ. What is it about Jesus Christ coming in the flesh that's so important? Because Jesus came in the flesh, died for our sins, made atonement for us. He's the covering, He's the propitiation. In the book of Leviticus, it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins because the, the blood carries the life. If you have no more blood, you're not going to live. And Jesus poured out His blood, His holy blood, so that we could be saved and forgiven. <clears throat> it's in Colossians Chapter 2, verse 9, where it says, In Him all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily. One commentator says that His becoming flesh implies His death for us because as God, He could not die. So He had to become a human being. And His death proves His love for us. That was the hardest thing for me to re get through my head when I first uh, um, began to uh, seek God, how could God love me? Because I knew I had, uh, I, was a, I was a sinner. I knew, I knew. I remember reading, the wages of sin is death. I said, oh, why doesn't God just kill me? <laughs> it took me a long time to get to that point where I remember reading. Here's why, because God proves he loves us. Because the wages of sin is death, but, or however, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God. And He proves His love for us this way. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The godly for the ungodly. When you understand that you're ungodly without Jesus, that's a good place to be because then you can put your trust in Jesus that what He did is more than enough to make you good enough. Hallelujah. Jesus said these words in John chapter 15, verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. 
I remember listening on the radio one time to uh, somebody from Teen Challenge. And this person was, at, uh, had, was being interviewed, I guess, and uh, somebody asked the question, you know, what do you t tell these young people or these, when uh, people come into the program and try and get off drugs and stuff? The, 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 uh, the speaker said, we asked them, how did you get involved in drugs? And, oh, a friend of mine introduced me to well, how can you call that person your friend when they're trying to kill you? How can you call that person your friend when they're giving you stuff that's harmful to you? That's not a friend. A friend lays down their life for you. They give stuff up for you. Praise God. So we know, and it's pretty obvious today, that this spirit of Antichrist is already in the world and working. So we should be working too. Can you say amen? And then he writes this, little children, in verse 4. Little children. Praise God. Listen to this. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. Who's them? It's that Antichrist spirit. That's who we've overcome because we believe in Jesus. Not only that, but he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Isn't that good news? Greater is the one living in us than the one that's in the world. Glory to God. You are from God. This means you, if you've been born again, you have been born again from God. And have overcome the false teachers. Matthew Henry writes a comment about this. He's, and listen to this. There is a strong preserver within you. There is a strong preserver within you. The Spirit of God dwells in you. And that Spirit is more mighty than men or devils, no scheme of hell, no, no power of man will ever be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Nothing can separate us. Glory to God. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 is a great memory verse. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind solid <laughs> biblical thinking. We have the mind of Christ, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. We have the mind of Christ. Daily, it says, to renew your minds. And how do you do that? You read the Word of God. Anybody know who Smith Wigglesworth was? Very funny name. He was a plumber and he became an evangelist. And he got kicked out of Germany or Sweden for practicing medicine without a license because he was praying for people. He got baptized in the Holy Ghost. God gave him the gift of healing. He was praying for people and they were getting healed. So they kicked him out of the country for practicing medicine without a license. But um, I watched an interview on TV. Uh, not an interview. Um, uh, I guess you'd call it a speech by Lester Summerall. He said when he was a young man in his 20s, he got to meet Smith Wigglesworth. And he went to his house, and he was in England at the time, and, and he had a newspaper under his arm. He knocks on the door, and Smith Wigglesworth opens the door and looks at him very sternly and says, what's that you got under your arm? Oh, it's a newspaper. I don't allow that in my house. 
Smith Wilgerworth said, I don't read anything but the Bible. That's pretty good. I mean, what else, you know, could you, you could read commentaries about the Bible and stuff, but it would be really good to read more of the Bible. Can you say amen? Praise God. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, it says these words, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is, or who is, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, from a worldly perspective, I would assume or I would think that it sounds preposterous that God can put His Spirit within us. But the Bible says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Without the Spirit of God, without being born again, the natural man finds it hard to understand the things of God. But it's true and it's awesome to think about that God is so awesome and so big and so powerful that He can put His Spirit in each one of us. To the human natural mind, blows our circuits. Okay, well, just, just believe God. Can you say amen? God is good. <coughs> there can only be one truth, somebody said. Everything else is merely opinions. There is only one truth. By nature, truth has to be truth. You cannot have your own truth. A lot of people have that idea. Well, that's your truth. Well, no, no, truth is truth. Whether it's somebody else's or not, everything else that's not true is an opinion. I think that was, I don't know who that was, but anyway, it's a good comment. I like Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34, 33 and 34, where God prophesies and says, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. How many know that we've been grafted in? We've been grafted in. So this promise is for you and I today, I believe. God says, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And I love verse 34. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. This, to me, is that's going to be great where everybody's going to know Jesus. For they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Glory to God, that new covenant has been cut when Jesus died on the cross. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? amen. They are from the world. Therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. Some places, Christianity is... And Jesus is not quite so popular. That's the world. And the world listens to them. But we are from God. And there's the phrase up there again. Are from God means we're born again. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. <clears throat> I love to talk about Jesus. But not everybody likes to hear it. Can you say amen? That's their loss. I'm sorry, you know. <laughs> I try and steer conversations to Jesus. And here's that word again. Beloved. 
Three times in these short verses, John uses that word, beloved. In the other um, uh, section just a minute ago, he used the term little children. Beloved. Listen, here's something important again. Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. <clears throat> now, there are people who are not obviously born again, but they believe, you know, they love people. Jesus uh, actually <clears throat> criticized the Pharisees saying, you know, you greet everybody in the marketplace and they greet you and, and you know, you, you don't go out of your way to help uh, other people. You know, what, what reward have you if you just are nice to people that are nice to you? Sometimes you have to be nice to people that are not nice to you. Praise God. Here's a funny uh, exchange in uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 22. The Sadducees, who didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead, and that's why they were sad, you see, they come up to Jesus and they say, we have this legal question for you. <clears throat> we, we believe, you know, they're trying to trick Jesus. They say, you know, Moses in the law said that if a, a man marries a woman and doesn't leave any kids, then his brother's supposed to take up the wife and, and uh, you know, raise up children to his brother. Well, uh, there were seven of these brothers and they all died without giving the woman any kids. Well, whose wife is she going to be in the resurrection from the dead? Ha <laughs> ha, trick question. We got Jesus on this one. And Jesus says, you guys are deceived. They were false teachers. They were deceived. He says, you don't know the power of God. You don't know nothing, basically is what he's saying. You guys don't know nothing. You're deceived. God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Haven't you ever read? He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's the God of the, the living, not the dead. And he says, by the way, there's no marriage in heaven. For some people, that's good news. <laughs> <laughs> but for those of us that are happily married, I'm disappointed. <laughs> I'll be there. Amen. <laughs> so then the Pharisees heard that Jesus shut down the Sadducees. They went away sad. And so the Pharisees come, oh, we've got another trick question for Jesus. We're going to get him on this one. What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus tells them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. I don't know about you, but there's days where I feel like I'm so far from God. And then there's other days where I'm so, I feel like I'm so close to God. And to me, and I hope this is not your situation, sometimes it seems hard to love God with all of my strength and all of my attention because there's so many distractions. But thank God, God is so gracious. Hallelujah. The first commandment, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, as we, we can back up a little bit in this letter here. John says, By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, 
And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Remember we uh, talked about the uh, fruits of the Spirit. And the very first one is love. And John, uh, Paul wrote a whole chapter in chapter 13 of, of the letter to the Corinthians on what love, the love from God looks like. But listen to what um, John writes. He says in verse 17 of chapter 3, if, you see, if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Does this mean we're supposed to give all of our stuff away to everybody who wants it? I don't believe so. I have a hard time with the guys that stand on the street corner with a sign. There, there's a day labor place right across the street from where the guy's standing. He can go over there and get a job and make some money. Everybody see that picture of the kid pushing the lawnmower? This was a GoFundMe account when we were kids. You went and did some work. Go fund me. <laughs> My first pastor told me one time he got a phone call from this group that went around the country selling satellite dishes so you can get uh, uh, Christian TV at your home. And they said, we're coming to Tucson. Um, uh, would you uh, have your church take up an offering for us? And he told me, I told him, no, I don't think that the hardworking people in my congregation should pay for your permanent vacation. And so they didn't come to our church. <laughs> I mean, they're selling stuff. They can make money doing that. Praise God. <clears throat> Anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is love. So the question is, God is love. Does that mean love is God? Think about that. God is love. Does the opposite mean that love is God? Because there's people that say that they love, but obviously they're not born again. Obviously they're not Christians. Obviously they're not saved. Obviously they're living in sin. Oh, but we have a loving relationship. Oh, really? But is it sanctioned by God? Is that the kind of relationship that we're in love? Really? Well, then why don't you get married? Well, we're in love. <clears throat> but um, in the beginning, God created the male and female. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cling to his wife. And for thousands and thousands of years, that was marriage. But, oh, somehow, we've, we made progress because now things are strange. <laughs> progress. By promoting sin? Oh, but we love each other. You can find love in the strangest places. I'll say you can. But does that mean just because you love that you're of God? I don't believe so. Because you might not go know um, it's true. It's not true because if God is loving, a person who doesn't love, they won't know God that way, but they could know God in another way. God has different attributes. Did you know that? God, God's a whole lot bigger than we are. Love is God's essence. And the, and the epitome or the embodiment of God's love is Jesus coming in the flesh. There are people that don't love. I was listening to Pastor Greg Laurie on the radio the other day and he got saved in high school as a teenager. And uh, um, one of the other students, hey, Greg, you have to come to church. And he said, why? 
I don't want to come to church. Well, you got to come to church. And finally he insisted, and the guy, and he came to church, and he said, I stood in the back, and one of the high school students that I knew that saw me give my life to Jesus that day was up in the front, pops up, Greg, come and sit up front with us. Oh, my God. So Pastor Greg Laurie's bald. He says, you know, they had, you know, a nice worship, and, and uh, then this preacher comes out, Chuck Smith. This old guy is bald. <laughs> and he says he preached. And he says, I was a new convert, he says. And I was just drank it all in. He says, I, my friend and his family took me to their house after church to have lunch. And they prayed. And, his, his, and, and they hugged me. And he says, my mom never hugged me. My mom never told me I love you. Isn't that? And, and there's families like that. Thank God that we have a family of God. Can you say amen? Praise God. Let's go to the next verse. Oop. Gotta aim it up there. Nope. Wrong one. There we go. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Here's that word again, beloved. Beloved. Oh, anyway, come on. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> now what? Can you uh, <laughs> call the next verse? <laughs> Which one am I supposed to point? Oh, this one. Nope. <laughs> Whoa. Go back to verse 9 and 10. There we go. Oh, sorry about that. Technical difficulties. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us or towards us. Let's stop right there for a moment. In this, the love of God was made manifest. Proof. Revealed among us this way. Proof of God's love. That God sent His only Son, or His unique Son, into the world so that we might live through Him. Praise God. We were unworthy. Can you say amen? Before we received Jesus, we, the Bible says we were dead in sins and trespasses. We were enemies of God, whether actively or uh, passively. We were God's enemies. But God loves us so much that He sent His Son to us. He sent His Son into the world. John 3.16, the most famous uh, Scripture in the world. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten, His unique Son into the world, that He sent Him, that whosoever believes in Him, in Jesus, should not perish, but have everlasting life. And verse 17 is just as important. For God, Jesus said, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Those that believe in Jesus are no, not condemned, no longer condemned, but those that don't believe in Jesus are condemned. And Jesus said, and this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, but the men that don't accept Jesus, they loved the darkness more. And we can see that today in society. 
that they love the darkness more and people are deceived. Praise God. The proof of Jesus' preexistence is that He was sent. He was sent by God the Father. He was sent. So in other words, He was somewhere else in heaven, in eternity, and He was sent into the earth, sent to the world. The proof of Jesus' existence. There's also the proof of God's love. Praise God. Now, here's a big word here, propitiation. One of my brothers would say, use a big word like that, do that here, you've got to clean it up. But this is an awesome word. In the Greek culture, this meant, or had the, the, the uh, connotation that you uh, had to do something to appease the gods, to get the gods' attention, because the gods were either ignoring you or were against you. And so you had to do something in order to gain their favor. But when the New Testament uses this word, and it doesn't use it very often, what it's talking about is the atonement. Vine's expository dictionary says this is the Greek word helosmos. I think that's how you uh, pronounce it. It's used of Christ himself as the propitiation signifying that he himself and there's another big word, through the expiatory sacrifice of his death. And this word expiatory, I had to look up and I've heard of it before. It means to atone for or to make amends. And it comes from the Latin word expiare, which comes from two words, a compound of ex, which means completely, and piare, which means to appease, where we get the word pious from. So Jesus' sacrifice completely permanently, forever appeased the wrath of God for those who put their trust in Jesus. Permanently. Completely. Glory to God. No effort on our part except to just believe it. Isn't that awesome? God, God says all you got to do is believe. So simple. Praise God. The provision, the sacrifice of His death is the personal means. How many know God's a personal Savior? Salvation is a personal relationship with God the Father through Jesus, our Son, His Son, our Savior. God shows mercy to the sinner who believes on Christ. And this provision has been made for the whole world so that no one is excluded from the scope of God's mercy. However, it's only effective for those who believe. Only effective for those who believe. If I remember right, uh, Adoniram Judson was one of the first missionaries to modern-day Myanmar, Burma. And he ministered there with two other uh, couples for six years before he found his first convert. Right now, pray for Myanmar. It's a horrible situation going on over there. Grace Chapel Christian Fellowship has churches over there. There are believers over there that uh, Pastor Larry Neville has a relationship with that he knows. Pray for them. There, it, um, I don't know what how else to say it, but it's it's a terrible situation. They had a military coup. They're mowing people down in the streets with the military, just shooting them. It. It's crazy. Praise God. But the demands of God's justice have been met. 
completely and permanently. And that's good news. For God, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God shows His love for us, proves His love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In verse 6, before that it says, Christ died for the ungodly. This is good news. That we can be forgiven. That we can have relationship with God. And then verse 11, here's that word again. Beloved, if God so loves us, we also ought to love one another. God's love towards us is our motivation to love other people. You could take the word if and put the word since God so loves us. We ought to also love one another. We believe that God loves us as a fact. There are people that don't believe God loves them. I remember when uh, I uh, first began to search and inquire and uh, people come over to the house where I was living and I asked them, well, if God's real, how come there's so much suffering in the world? Well, that's not God's fault. That's mankind's fault. It's because there's sin in the world, because we live in a fallen world, because there's a real devil. But then when I came to understand that God loves us and proves us his love by Jesus coming to earth and taking our place and, and completely satisfying the demand of God's justice that we can be born again. And when it says we, this is including all born-again believers, those who have been, uh, what's uh, uh, the technical term is, regenerated. How many know that when uh, uh, an individual comes before the judge and uh, they're uh, delinquent or they're uh, called or classified as degenerate, they're not a nice person and most likely will wind up in prison. But the opposite of degeneration is regeneration, which simply means being born again. And God as our Father means that we are supposed to bear the resemblance of our dad. We're supposed to act like our dad. If God is our Father, he saved us in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, not because of deeds done by us in righteousness, but you know God doesn't weigh your good deeds and your bad deeds. He doesn't because your bad deeds will far outweigh your good deeds. If you break one law, you're just as guilty as breaking all of them. But he saved us in virtue of his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal in the Holy Spirit. Literally, God has given us a new lifestyle. Can you say amen? That's good news. God has given you and I motivation for a new lifestyle. We don't live the way we used to live. We don't talk the way we used to talk. We don't spend our money on the things we used to spend our money on. God has changed us. There was uh, a quote from um, uh, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. Um, he told, was telling somebody, if you don't believe in miracles, come here and see this here, this table full of food used to be a table full of alcohol. God miraculously changed the alcoholism in this man's life, and now He provides for His family. If that's not a miracle, I don't know what is. Praise God. A new lifestyle. 
Can you say amen? That's as good news. Praise God. Well, let's bow our heads and close our eyes in prayer this morning.